Welcome, guys, back to another episode of Top Bins Talk, and this is episode 10, and we have a very special 10th episode of Top Bins Talk. Uh, I, Marcin, am your host, as always, here with my co-host, Tim. Say what's up, Tim. Hey, everybody. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest. We have a uh, fellow Juventina, and her name is Martina, also uh, goes along by her name as Juve Designer on Twitter, by most of you uh, should know. So say hello, Martina. What's up, everyone? So we're very excited to have uh, a new guest on the podcast. Uh, Obviously, before we quickly start off with today's fun topics, because we do have a, a bunch of fun topics like usual, uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our podcast sponsor, Deadball uh, UK, just so everybody knows that they are currently selling a limited edition Roberto Baggio uh, t-shirt up until, I believe until Wednesday is the last day you can purchase it. Uh, awesome tee. They do a lot of cool retro stuff. So if you're into uh, retro football, 90s football, uh, 90s Serie A, um, especially obviously Roberto Baggio, uh, go check it out because it's going to be on sale until Tuesday, I believe, uh, or I believe Wednesday at the latest. Um, so th- having said that, let's kick off the podcast with some of our fun topics. Um, we have obviously a lot to talk about in today's episode, uh, and we're going to s- start it off with League Un or the French League, as a lot of people know it as. Tim, what's going on in the French League? Oh, well, there is a lot going on in the French League and there's a lot to talk about for it. Um, this is probably going to be uh, the most that we've ever talked about the French League on this podcast because... Uh, Quite frankly, we really don't cover it all that much, but they made a really uh, interesting call and they have decided to conclude uh, their season. It's really important that we note they're concluding their season, right? They're not canceling their season. That's a really big difference, right? So they're not voiding it out. Uh, They're just concluding it early. They said the last round is what we're going to go off of and that's how the table is going to finish. And that crowns PSG uh, again as champions of Ligue 1. Uh, so that is uh, real interesting. Yeah, uh, if you're looking at the next couple uh, positions, you have Marseille, uh, Rennes, Lille, and Nice uh, are all there for uh, top five. Uh, and a big controversy, which I, I think uh, you know we're, we're all going to want to talk about here, is how the bottom of the table is finished out. And you have some interesting points on uh, a possible lawsuit against Ligue by some of their teams. So do you want to talk about that for a sec? Sure. So... In, in terms of the table, um, the uh, Ligue 1 Federation decided to end it versus the last completed round. So essentially that was round 27. And in round 27, you had a couple teams that were in different positions. So in round 27, Lyon was outside of Europa League uh, spots. Uh, after they played their round 28 game, they were back in Europa League. And also you had one of the lower uh, ranked sides, Amiens, Uh, who's also, I believe, only within three points of the relegation zone or being outside of the relegation zone. So both those teams have already um, publicly or uh, or within whispers that have gone out to the public mentioned that there are going to be some potential lawsuits coming from at least at least just for now from those two clubs, um, obviously not being very happy with the decision that the league decided to go on. Uh, obviously, this means big money losses potentially for for Amiens being relegated without having a proper shot at, at obviously getting themselves out of the relegation zone. Uh, and then obviously the bigger one up the table is Lyon, uh, who obviously Juve are, still have a game to play in the Champions League. Uh, but Lyon missing out on a potential Europa League spot and obviously Europa League obviously still means more money. Um, so that's a, that's a large cash pool that they're essentially missing out on currently. Uh, so that's definitely a situation that we're going to try to keep an eye on and see what happens and what the lawyers are going to be claiming. 
uh, and if even it even if it goes through or if more teams decide to join this lawsuit. Yeah, and I mean that's that's really insane because when you look at their when you look at their league, uh, 16th to 19th place is actually only separated by seven points. Uh, so you know you would understand completely if those towards the bottom of the table, uh, you know besides uh, uh, Toulouse, uh, you know felt some kind of way about about really being shortchanged uh, by the league. You know, Lyon has a case and uh, uh, missing out in their in their Europa League spot, but missing out on a Europa League spot most definitely is not as big a deal as missing out on staying in the premier tier of your country's leagues. Uh, so, Martin, right. do you have any uh, any input you want to throw in here on this one? Yeah, I mean, when I read the news that the French League declared PSG as their champions and the winner of this season, I felt like everything was going to change because at first we had the, the Dutch League that they announced that they were going to just cancel the league and I felt like that was something right to do because continuing the league or just declaring a champions this season was going in my opinion it's not fair for anyone um, not only the players but also the public and when I heard the news about the league the French league deciding to do that I felt like it was going to be not the fairest thing and I felt like a lot of worse thing was going to happen later which are now the potential lawsuits from other teams to the league and who knows what else can happen in the future with that. I don't think it's the best decision that could have happened out of, you know, that declaring the champions and just just basically deciding the winner of the league and the relegation teams out of the last game that they played where some teams, as you said, didn't have the chance to play some games and you know it's just not fair in my opinion do, do you think that now that the that one of the major leagues in world football has decided to do this do you think this kind of gives the other leagues in the world a more of a precedent like oh hey like the french league did it yeah is it something that we now can do without like without any being without having any issue or do you think that more leagues are going to look at this and be like oh look the the french league is now starting to get sued by teams is this something now we definitely don't want to do? I mean, there's both think and happen, honestly. Um, now we have two scenarios, one being the Dutch league as just canceling the league, no winner. And then there's a French league with the winner and then getting all this backlash happening. So now they can either decide if, I mean, they have three options, basically. Um, either continuing the league, trying to continue the league, playing the games, or assigning a champion out of I don't know what match day or just canceling everything and no assigning no no winner but I think it's going to be a tough decision for any league not only in Europe but also throughout the world because it's it's something that will affect also any other team obviously European football is the most important or the most famous one um which all eyes are on it. <laughs> and definitely the decisions that are made in Europe will affect also other teams outside of Europe. Right. Tim, do you have anything else to add to uh, Ligun's decision? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, I have a, a little bit of, uh, of an interesting take on it, which is it's a, it, 
I think it's uh, you know it's a little harsh for the uh, for the lower teams. Um, I don't agree with the fact that they took the twenty seventh round as opposed to the twenty sixth round uh, table standing because I agree with the lower teams. It's not fair to take a round that's incomplete uh, and utilize that as uh, as your tool to decide who goes up and who goes down. Uh, the Belgian league, uh, you know, canceling their season out and voiding their season. Uh, or rather, I uh, sorry, let me get corrected here. They did crown, but I don't, I don't believe they sent anybody down. If I stand corrected here, but um, you know, with Italy, uh, with Italy, England, Germany, and Spain still to decide, uh, it's really interesting to see that UEFA really doesn't have a strong grip. They're an organization that's supposed to be uh, corralling all these leagues and FAs, and they really don't have any uh, unity, and, and they don't have any pull in a lot of these leagues because. You know, as much money as they draw in with these competitions, with the Champions League and Europa League, uh, you know, a, a country like England with their football, like they're going to want to finish this season because uh, that's a lot of revenue uh, for that them specifically with the TV rights. It's a lot of revenue mm-hmm. for their country. Germany is, uh, you know, an interesting take because they are, you know, still predominantly fan owned. So it is, you know, something that I feel that Germany despite their training being resumed, it's a little less financial and it's a little more, you know, the fans pay for us to operate and we want to be open and, and work for the fans. Um, right. You know, and, and La Liga, they're, you know, they're still kind of figuring out on theirs, you know? So it's it's interesting that league, I didn't foresee Ligue being the first league to take action, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I had thought that since they were relatively the weaker league uh, you know, all all decidedly on upon most people would say that, uh, you know, with them being the weaker league, you would assume they would kind of go off of what, uh, you know, the other countries were doing. But I guess it goes to show that, you know, they every country has their own needs as far as their FA goes. And I guess this is just what met France's needs. Right. What also, I think... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. What I think it should have been done, at least for the top five leagues, is that the same should have happened to both all the leagues all the five leagues like the the italy um german france spanish and england they should all have the same outcome now obviously the french league already decided but i don't think they should all have different um you know they shouldn't have different things happening throughout the at least the top five leagues in my opinion Like, it's either a decision that should have been made by someone outside out of, out of the five leagues. And I don't know. I don't... It's, it's a hard decision, obviously, to, to, to decide. But now that someone already did it, now I don't know what's going to happen with the others because, obviously, they're either going to follow or change it. Right. Yeah, and I can only imagine if... Uh, if- if like let's say in the in the Serie A they decided to do the same thing where they crowned oh, no. champions versus versus the last round fixture and then Juve get crowned the title and then Lazio are gonna start like going going absolute bananas and then Inter are gonna start going bananas. I can only imagine if um, if if something like that happened in, in the Serie A. But I do 100% agree with you. I mean I think all the major leagues should have been. Uh, kind of like met together and kind of came up with a plan universally to kind of move forward instead of each of them doing uh, their own thing. Uh, One thing I do want to note that happened with the French league is it wasn't 
decided by the actual French FA that they weren't going to be able to play games. The actual prime minister of France, um, the government, a government official, declared that there wouldn't be able any kind of sporting events be held in the country until September. So their hand was more or less forced. Um, I know in these other countries, like in Italy and England, we mentioned those places, the government isn't really as involved right now in regards um, to deciding when or when the players are going to be start training or playing games. But in France, the government said there will be no matches. There's no sporting events that will be happening until September, which kind of forced the league's hand to make this decision. Um, so just, I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't like the, the, the French league was just like, Oh, we're done. And that's our call. It was kind of forced upon them. So just to clarify some things, but they could have done the same as the other league instead of crowning PSG. They should have just, very true. I don't know. Just let it go. No winner. And that's it. Don't change anything. Let's just delete the season and start it again in September. Exactly. Start the 2021 season. That's and that's yeah. kind of like, like what I I think I, I mentioned. Uh, Tim, um, you and me talked about it in the last episode. Is I, I think I was in that same boat of just saying like end the seasons now, and just start the 2021 seasons in September if everything is is fit to be able to play football at that point. Um, but just give the players exactly. the next three four three four months off. Give like the families the next three four months off. Let like the world relax without any football for the summer i know i know us as fans are aren't, aren't going to be thrilled about that but give us the time off and then just start the new season fresh yeah that's what i hoped the outcome was going to be but definitely i don't see that happening anymore right well we obviously talked about um the french league obviously there's there's more news that came out of other leagues and the next one that kind of made a somewhat of a of a decision moving forward is the epl um, so if you didn't actually know, and this is actually brand new news to just this morning, literally a couple hours ago, uh, the English Premier League has decided to um, play the remainder of their 1920 season out. Uh, but what they are going to be doing is playing it at eight uh, neutral grounds. So they're going to essentially pick eight stadiums, uh, neutral venues where two teams will meet up, obviously behind closed doors. So there will be no fans in attendance and they'll play out the remainder of those games um, that way. Uh, there is a list uh, of the stadiums that are currently being looked at and are the most likely stadiums. So those would be uh, Brighton's Amex Stadium, Southampton's St. Mary's, uh, West Ham's London Stadium, uh, Arsenal's Emirates, uh, Leicester City's uh, King Power Stadium, Aston Villa's Villa Park, and then uh, Manchester United's Old Trafford and Man City's Etihad Stadium. Um, so those would be the potential, uh, as of currently, um, eight stadiums that would be used. Um, essentially, also what came out was that training in the EPL would resume on the 18th of May and that the fixtures would start around the second or the first or second week of June. Um, so that is the current preliminary game plan of the EPL, um, which is obviously completely different than what France did. So what, what are your guys' thoughts on how the EPL is currently handling the remainder of this season? Yeah, Marjay, why don't you take the lead on this one since I yeah. took the last one? <laughs> I was waiting uh, to see if you were going to start. Um, I mean, honestly, I think that this is not going to work. Obviously, the games will be behind closed doors, but still, I don't think that will stop any fans either gathering um, or being together watching the games, either on TV or just going outside of the stadium since now we know the state. Well, everyone knows the stadium. Um, I think that 
is going to be something similar to when at the beginning of this pandemic, um, the games were behind closed doors, but then outside the stadium, there were thousands and thousands of fans, you know, cheering for the team. Obviously, it's something nice that the fans are participating, but it's not the right time to do it. And allowing the games to happen will, in my opinion, cause that to happen again. Uh, that's why I'm not in favor of the game starting again, or at least letting the world know, oh, this is where we're going to play and this is when we're going to start. I would rather have it either completely secret or have it in a location that's away from everyone. I don't know where, obviously, but <laughs> something just secluded where it's hard for the fans to even, you know, gather together or something. I don't know. It's a hard situation. So- so some of the stadiums, like the report, um, which is which, which what I'm reading from is by uh, 90minutes.com, um, it mentioned a couple grounds. So it also mentioned places like Stamford Bridge and Anfield, and some of those other stadiums were actually already like, were instantly like discounted with those with kind of what, what you mentioned with police having fears of if, of those stadiums being um, heavily congested like urban areas where fans can converge in mass. So I think when they selected these stadiums, those eight that I mentioned before, those were kind of more or less picked where those grounds aren't really susceptible or, or as easily, like you can't really converge in a mass crowd outside those stadiums because of like barriers or gates or, or security or whatever the reason is, or they're kind of like off the beaten path, whatever the reason is for them picking those eight stadiums. But there were stadiums that were automatically discounted, like Stanford Bridge, like Anfield, because the police knew that those stadiums, like a, like a fan base, can converge really easily outside of those grounds. Um, so I get so to your point, yeah, I get, I know that they've definitely kind of thought about that perspective of it. Um, but yeah, I think maybe like kind of to your point, having it be more like a secret, like oh, we're gonna play these two matches and then just kind of have the game shown on TV instead of you kind of knowing where the match is gonna be beforehand would be, I think, a little bit of a better idea just to kind of. Um, not have any of those kind of mass crowding issues even arise in the first place. Yeah. I mean, either having it secret and just announcing it when the game goes live or just never announce it. I mean, just put the game and then I guess people will realize, Oh wait, that's that stadium and stuff like that. I don't know. Tim, what what are your thoughts on how the EPL is going to handle it? Uh, So there's, there's so much to consider and um, you know, part of what to consider here, uh, I'm actually going to go off of the ESPN article that uh, Mark Ogden uh, went ahead and put together. And, uh, you know, there is a reference to, uh, you know, what we spoke about earlier, uh, you know, the, the TV finance part of it, uh, you know, is is huge. Uh, you know, last, t- last season, Huddersfield finished in 20th place, uh, but they still grabbed uh, 96.63 million in broadcast revenue, which was something that we... I'm not going to go into it, but this is something that we kind of talked about, which was kind of, you know, a little bit of BS considering, you know, how much Juve taking home first, uh, you know, uh, they didn't take off nearly as much uh, of broadcast revenue. But anyway, uh, that aside, uh, you know, there's also the subject of player contracts, right? You know, uh, if I'm a player who is contracted with my team right now, and, uh, you know, and I go ahead and I play these games, uh, you know, they're going to have to extend my contract at a certain capacity in order for me to play these games. 
uh, depending on when my contract runs out, right? So, you know, what if I don't want to risk that? What if, you know, I am looking at a possible move with a possible wage increase? I'm under no obligation, you know, to go ahead and restart playing for that team and risk myself for that team if another team is offering me, uh, you know, X amount of dollars. So, uh, you know, that's also something I think not a lot of people are considering because you have a couple of big name players that are, you know, I could go as far as William from Chelsea, right? He's, I believe his contract expires at the end of the season. And, you know, who's to say that a Serie A club wouldn't make a really big bid for him and have him come in and start a contract with them over the summer? There's no reason for him to risk that, right? So that's another aspect of it. What about player contracts? Uh, and then the part that bothers me the most about restarting a league, uh, and this is, again, I'm going off of Mark Ogden's numbers here. It is estimated that 66,000 tests would be required for the uh, for the English Football League fixtures to uh, to finish up uh, with the Premier League, uh, approx- approximately 300 people would need to be uh, tested behind every closed door game, which would require a minimum of 27 uh, 27,600 tests. Right. So just to be clear, that 66,000 figure is for all the English fixtures uh, and the Premier League specifically taking up just about half of that. And the part with me morally, right? So I'm always happy to watch live football and I've been struggling without it. But the part for me morally is don't you think those tests that are being used for an artificial purpose, right? We we love football and football is a great release for everybody. Those tests would be so much more better suited to go to people who actually need them, need them. right? Yeah. I know a lot and I don't want to get all preachy here, but I know a lot of countries are struggling with getting an adequate amount of tests. Why are we testing these superstar athletes to finish a season that's been basically destroyed by this coronavirus? And there's no reason for us, you know, to to have it concluded. I understand the financial aspect of it, of why they feel the the need to continue. Hey, we'll finish eight to ten, you know, uh, stadiums uh, and play the rest of these games out. But in all actuality, why are you jeopardizing so many people? Uh, you know, these athletes. Yeah, you know, Paulo Dybala had coronavirus. You know, uh, Pepe Reina had it, a couple of different players. I mean, half of Syria had it and they were all fine. But those aren't the people that you got to worry about. Their families, their loved ones that they're going to be isolated from because of doing this are going to be the ones that you have to worry about. And that's and I, I feel really strongly about that. And I, I just don't think that, you know, uh, aside from the logistics of it and how are you going to get the players who are out of contract to play and how are you going to guarantee the TV revenue and how are we going to this, that, and the other thing, look at it from a moral standpoint. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing these tests? Taking up 66,000, that's 66,000 people that could be helped outside of sports uh, that, you know, that you're greedily taking, uh, you know, that that resource from them. So I, I didn't mean uh, to hop on my pedestal there, but I had to get on a little bit of a tangent because I, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm completely there with you. I agree every, everything you said. I don't think it's worth it or need it. Obviously, okay, the money and everything, but it's not always all. It's not always about money, and this is basically what's coming down to an end. It's coming down to an end of money, and I don't like that. But obviously, I love football. I love to watch football. I miss football. <laughs> I miss you, I'm the first one to tell you that. But I also care about other things, and I don't think it's the most thing that we need right now. Right. There, there's there's bigger things going on right now. There's there's more important priorities 
then yeah, like like you just mentioned, we all miss like I'm, I'm sure Tim watch, misses watching his Roma games and we miss watching Juve. But I think at the end of the day, there's there's more important things to really consider to worry about. And like all in all, like the world's in in not a great place right now. And I think exactly to Tim's point, those near seventy thousand tests that we can have. I think would be better suited to going towards those countries that need not only need the test or, but that that's, that could be the difference between somebody's lives being saved or not saved. So why risk even like, like giving it to healthy athletes who, you know, for the most part are, are going to be fine regardless. Cause they're, they're top professionals. They, they're going to be looked at by the top doctors in, in world football. They're, they're going to be isolated and quarantined. So, but those tests are definitely more better suited to the people that, to have a, have a regular life that they, that are that need to know whether they're contagious or not to to be able to live their life normally. So yeah, I think uh, I think all of us here definitely are on the same uh, on the on the Tim boat of uh, the the tests being a little uh, used. How to how to put this? Not in the correct manner in in this sense in terms of trying to get football back for the money sense of it and trying to conclude seasons. I think there's a bigger picture at hand right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to be dramatic about it, but you know, I, I look forward on the weekends to, to, you know, living on the East coast, you know, you turn the game on, it's on in the morning, you know, you watch a couple hours and you go about your day. I would feel a little, you know, I would feel a little dirty watching a game that I know, you know, before those players hopped on the pitch, they and their staff took about 300 kits <laughs> to, to play a 90 minute game of football. Like, you know, I, I feel a little, ah, I feel a little rough about that. Like, you know, and, um, you know, not to, not to get stuck on this, but, you know, Dutch league concluded, French league concluded, Belgian league concluded. And, you know, there's several other leagues that are also considering it. And the, and it, it really jumps down to financials. You got to say with these, the four top leagues that are left in Italy, England, Germany, and La Liga, I mean, what other reason can you justify continuing to play? None of the players want to do it. <laughs> like, not, all of them are saying, hey, we're at home and no way are we going to be fit enough to put a proper showing on of how we should be playing. Yeah, so right. the players don't want to do it and the fans feel a little, you know, off about it. Yeah, it's, it's leaving a bad taste in your mouth to, you know, to continue and uh, to carry on there. Yeah, definitely agreed. So I think the money kind is of what complete. what's driving everything at the end. Yeah, for for sure. And then we're, we're going to obviously talk a little bit about money a little bit later on <laughs> in the podcast. Funny, funny you mentioned that. It is one of our talking points later on. Uh, but before we get into money and all those kind of things, there is one more obviously league we do need to talk about. And it's the bread and butter of top ends talk, and that's the city. Yeah. Oh, what's uh, that? So the city. Yeah. I've never heard no. of it. Uh, never heard of it? Um, so obviously the Italian league is, is where we do most of our news, most of our talking, Tim being a, a Roma fan, me being a, a Juve fan. So we obviously try to focus mostly on, on, on the league here. If, if this is your first time listening, uh, obviously it's tough to come by with a, a ton of news articles now with everything that's going on, but the Italian league has made some kind of decisions and there was a vote earlier on this week and all 20 teams unanimously voted to continue the league and to conclude the season. So going that's that's every team from Atalanta to Juve all the way down to the Kievos and the uh, uh, the lower ranked sides. Every team has approved. Um, the only issue is so far the Italian government has asked that the Italian FA, the Feder- the Football uh, Association, 
that they wouldn't approve the league to continue unless they changed uh, health protocols in throughout the squads. So essentially that means testing all the players, quarantining all the players, uh, having medical staff on site and all that kind of stuff. So the government is asking that there needs to be some serious change in, uh, changes being made in terms of um, making sure that all these players are fit, making sure that all these players are healthy, and obviously making sure that all these players don't have any kind of uh, coronavirus or anything along those lines um, before they allow us to play. And the issue is that some of the owners and some of the clubs are just saying like, well, we're not going to change anything kind of in a typical Italian fashion. We're not going to listen to you. We're just going to play out our season and, and decide when we're going to kick off games. Um, I believe what I read recently was that the 18th of May was the first day of backup training and then that the games would start, I believe, two weeks after that. So that's kind of like along the same kind of lines as what the Prem had in terms of a time frame, uh, mid-May training, and then beginning of June, end of May, uh, games resume. But the only difference here is in Italy, there is no neutral venues. So all the teams would still play home and away games um, depending on the fixture list. So if Juve play at Juventus Stadium, they'll play home. If they have to play on the road, they'll play on the road, uh, which is obviously also in, in, inducing more travel and more kind of stress on the players because um, you're traveling between regions and all that kind of stuff. So there, the Serie A has its own issues to worry about um, in, in conjunction to the other leagues. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts about what the Serie A is now doing to kind of continue their seasons? Because it looks like they are going to as well. I mean, I I said that before, and obviously my thought is very similar. Um, I think it's going to be hard, not only on the players, on the club, and, on, and the staff, obviously, because they're, it's not only the, the players, but it's also like all the staff that is involved that will have to travel, that will have to be tested, that will have to be self-isolated in a way. And there's also like mental... Um, issues like stress anxiety and all of that that will be involved and even before all this pause of because of the pandemic players were getting injured imagine later when players haven't been basically running for what a month even more almost two months you know that's gonna definitely affect the player both mentally and physically and eventually affect the entire club and the league so I don't know how they will solve any problems with that um and then what if a player tests positive in the middle of of resuming the season like what will happen if that happens you know will we go back to just stopping everything again so then when what's the point of even starting if that's going to happen so that's basically i just i i don't understand what's the big deal of just stopping everything i know the money blah 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 but I think it's even harder to just keep playing and the same if the players are going to be playing in their stadiums and in the other stadium when they play away then the fans can also go to the state I mean outside of the stadium if they know they're going to play there which can cause other problems to the population in that way so I don't know I think there is a lot at stake if that is going to happen. Right. Tim, Tim, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the Serie A right now? Okay. So, and this is, I'm going to look at it from strictly a numbers perspective, right? Okay. Let's say you take the 26th round as, uh, as, as the end result. Let's say Juve decides to coincide with what Ligue 1 has done. And they say, 
you know, we'll go off of the 26th round because that's the furthest that we've played on. And on the 26th round, you know, obviously we have Juve ahead by a point. Um, you know, but if you look at it from a from a numbers perspective, Juve equal on games with Lazio up by a point. Inter, yes, they hadn't played a game yet, but even if they had won that game, that would have only brought them to 57 points, well below both Lazio and Juventus. So that doesn't matter. Atalanta is already locked in for uh, for their uh, game. They had a game in hand as well. Roma would finish uh, fifth. Uh, and then the only other, you know, conversation you could have because both actually all three of Roma, Napoli and Milan all played their 26 round. Then you look at, you know, further down, you go, oh, OK, well, maybe one of the mid table clubs would have grounds to be upset. Right. Well, Hellas Verona is at eighth. Uh, Parma is at ninth, both on 35 points, both with the game in hand. Even if they won their game, they would not be able to get that sixth place spot. Okay, they would only be able to to advance into the seventh place spot. They would fall a point short of Napoli. Uh, So even if you look at the end of the table, right, uh, you know, uh, 19, uh, 19 and 20, uh, respectively, you have Spal and you have Brescia. uh, And then, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lecce is at 18th. And even with them at 18th, they're equal with games with Genoa. It's not as if them having a game in hand was going to do anything. Sampdoria is at 25th. Uh, or I'm sorry, at 25th position, uh, at 16th place with uh, with 25 games played. So if you ended the table right now, everybody floating around in that mid, you know, in that mid range, yes, they'd have a dispute in the way of, well, we could have finished, you know, ninth instead of 10th, or we could have finished, you know, uh, 12th instead of 15th, somewhere along those lines. But even even at that point, this table, it, I don't want to say it makes sense, but you know, if you ended it on this point, there would be a lot less tension than there was in League Un with how that finished out. Nobody would have, you know, uh, had any grounds to say, well, I could have qualified for a Europa League spot because mathematically, even if you played your game, it wouldn't have mattered. So, you know, for me, I it's a tough situation because their table makes, you know, their table being CDA, I you know, the Calcio table makes the most sense to end it as it is. But due to the financials and the fact that, you know, Italian soccer is not as well funded as some of the other leagues are, uh, you know, they're in a tough spot. And I and I understand it, you know, and uh, I don't want the league to resume, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I think it's, you know, if EPL is has a 20 team top tier uh, and so does uh, Serie A, you know, that's the same amount of kits a game if you want to look at it from a numbers perspective again and even more so. You have even more passionate of a fan base when it comes to Serie A. The ultras are notorious for saying, we don't care what the law is going to say. We're going to do what we want to do. And it just doesn't make sense. I think, realistically, Serie A resuming is the most dangerous out of the top five leagues resuming because of both the fans and the way that the country approaches football. So that's that's my take on it. I, I think this is a this is one that you're going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, we all want the, what's best for obviously the league, but I think, I like like we mentioned kind of before. I, I think the, all the leagues should have kind of had this plan of having a universal game plan before all this kind of stuff happened. And then, like now at this point, we have like oh, like the EPL is going to do eight neutral grounds, and the Serie A is going to do normal behind closed doors, and then you have 
La Liga, who is resuming training. You have the, the Bundesliga, who already resumed training. They're going to do normal stadiums. And then you have the French League, who's already decided to conclude their season. It's just too much of a mess. And I feel like if UEFA just did a little bit of a better job of kind of like getting these leagues together and being like, listen, we need to come up with a universal plan. We need to look uniform in what we're doing to kind of save face for the next season. What are we going to do all collectively as a group? And I feel like that's bottom line. That's what should have happened in the first place. Yeah, that's what should have happened, but definitely didn't happen. What frustrates me the most <laughs> is that if the Serie ends, like, let's say tomorrow, they're like, okay, whatever, we're not playing anymore. Um, let's do they do, like, League One. Juve, winner. Imagine how everything will happen after that. Like, all the teams are going to hate us as if they don't do already. Yep. And literally italy will die i mean there's gonna be a war between juve fans and the rest of italy just because of that and i don't think i mean i understand where they stand like the other fans it's not fair and i'm the first one to tell you that i don't think juve should be crowned the champion obviously i want it but it's not fair because the league is not over yet you know we still have a bunch of games left and Lazio can win all the games and we can lose, I don't know, three games and then we're, we're not first. So obviously I understand that. And that's why I don't think any they shouldn't give the trophy to anyone, well, in Serie A at least, and just stop it and just say, okay, whatever. This season is over. Nobody won. Let's just forget about it and start in September. But I don't see that happening. And I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, that, that would be obviously the, the wise thing to do. I mean, obviously, we talked a lot about money in, in Syria and obviously money overall in terms of players and all those kind of things. So so that is a very important thing. And we, we did kind of find one really interesting article that we kind of would like to just talk about here. And that, that was from Forbes. So Forbes actually uh, showed that the Syria would lose the most uh, transfer value for the players out of all the major leagues in world football. So over $1 billion dollars in uh, transfer value to, for the players will be lost essentially so far due to the to the pandemic. Um, just to name the, the top five teams, uh, obviously, hold on one second. Um, so the top team that would lose the most market value from this pandemic so far would be actually Merda, uh, 289 million, uh, followed by Juve with 240 million, Napoli at 196 And then you have uh, Roma and Milan very close to each other. You have Roma at 159 and AC Milan at uh, 156. Also, obviously, all these numbers show a percentage. So, for example, Juventus losing $240 million off their player values equates to essentially a 28.4% drop in the transfer values for their entire team. So most of these teams kind of hover between that 28% and 31% mark. So imagine just within six weeks you have 30% of the transfer value of your teams kind of cut out, which is obviously a, a crazy figure. And more so or less, not only for, for Juve and obviously these big teams, because I feel like the larger teams can recover a little bit better just because their players are still on on high transfer like values like, like Paulo Dybala, like Ronaldo at Juventus. Those players are worth a lot. And even if their value hits a little bit, they're still going to be worth a, a, a very good amount of money. But what's more concerning is what's going to happen to those smaller teams, those Kievos, those those Veronas. 
just because those teams are the ones that are really focus and really make their kind of like their budgets for the year off of a transfer target. So it's in, in, like, for example, if one team sold a player for like 30 million in, in one transfer window, and that was their whole stretch of money for the entire year. Now think about it. They're losing 30% of their value of their club right out of the gate. So where's that extra money that they were kind of expecting from these transfers now coming from? Um, the, the article obviously states that a lot of these teams are going to be in some kind of financial issue just because not only are you losing your, your transfer values and, and, and your ability to really sell players for the value that you wanted to, but to kind of Tim's point that he mentioned before, you have broadcast rights, you have advertising, you have ticket sales, um, and you have obviously merchandise sales. You have, there's so much that goes to these teams just from a single match day, and you're losing all of that for X amount of weeks so far. And even if you, con- like, let's say you conclude the season, you're still losing X amount of dollars for, for almost, uh, what, three, four months? For some teams, that might be enough to unfortunately put them into near bankruptcy or to really put the club in a very tough predicament. And I'm really curious to see how the, how the league kind of handles this moving forward because, well, if, the, if these teams don't have money, then where's the competitive balance going to be in the, in the leagues? Like if, if nobody can really spend any money or, or spend the funds or transfer market money on a player, then where's the competitive going to be? These teams are just going to kind of stagnate and just kind of try to regroup money and regroup money, but they're not going to grow and build as a squad. So I'm really curious about what is going to happen after the, or if the league's going to do anything to kind of try to um, compensate some of these clubs for the lost transfer market or how transfer markets are going to work moving forward. Um, But my only kind of thought on this topic is this would be, um, something good that happens for the transfer values of teams. I think moving forward, especially for the next few years, you're going to start seeing less and less of these 150 to like 100 to 150 million euro transfers. Uh, and you're going to start seeing more or less a lot more swap deals happening and a lot more transfers happening in the uh, like 30 to 40 to 50 million euro range instead of these exorbitant fees that we've been kind of like seeing go up and up and up over the last few years. Like, like for example, like, Keppa to like not to not to badmouth Keppa as a goalkeeper, but he he cost what almost eighty million euros for Chelsea. I don't think that's a player that's going to be sold or even worth that value anymore for the next few years. I think I think that's going to be at least the one positive that comes out of this uh, economic repercussion is that transfer fees are going to be kind of like dropped down to more or less normal numbers that we've seen from about five, six, seven years seven years ago. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's also what I thought. The only good thing out of it was going to be um, that maybe prices of player were more reasonable because obviously now, I mean, the last years, some players were extremely overpriced and it makes smaller team of teams that don't really have, you know, that person that provides the money to the club to give that opportunity. It basically is the person that has the most money that comes down to um so obviously the smaller team or other teams are not competing to some players anymore because of that and maybe this will help in that way however i do think um teams that the smaller team or the teams that have less money will be the most impacted obviously and then i'm scared that the teams that have the money um like psg or city will take advantage in some way of this situation you know because obviously the smaller team i'm like oh okay let me sell my players because they need the money and then you know 
the play, the teams that have the money will just take advantage of that and just buy them for less value out of the player's value because of the situation, which is what I'm scared of and I see happening. For example, Tonali, like Brescia, won, won a sell Tonali, obviously, and now they're even more pressured to do so because of this problem. They need the money um, and I'm scared that they will just jump into the first um, deal because of the situation. Right. Yeah. Like, especially with Tonali, you, you initially read like mo- a couple months ago, like January, February, that Brescia wanted like 50, 60 million euro for, for Tonali. And over the last few weeks, you've seen more and more reports that the team would just be willing to accept 25, 30 exactly. million at this point, like, like half the cost. So like exactly to your point, now these teams are going to be kind of forced to really st- sell their star uh, or prized assets a a lot quicker or and b for a lot less lower uh funds which obviously those funds would be much more needed for those smaller clubs to kind of re uh replenish with new talent and, and scout out new players um uh, so I, I definitely do agree with you that there will be a lot more um taking advantage of those smaller clubs just because these teams are gonna be especially from these larger clubs um uh, because they're gonna be like oh like they need the money let's just let's just lowball them an offer and see if they take it and hope that they take it because they need it. That's that's how it's gonna. Like I'm, I'm very much in the same um, idea as you in terms of transfers. How those are gonna work in the future. Mm-hmm. Tim, any any thoughts so far? Any of this uh, transfer talk so far? Uh, you know, I I think it could go both ways. Actually, I agree with you guys that it can definitely go the way of a of a smaller club being taken advantage of. But you know, maybe look at a you know look at a situation at. You know, somewhere, uh, somewhere like Juve, maybe. You know, where uh, they do a really good job recruitment-wise, and it doesn't necessarily hurt uh, for them to let the occasional player go. Uh, you know, and you look at something along those lines. Uh, you know, they've they've made a, a tradition of it where they'll take somebody in for a really low cost, and you know, they won't sell them for anything absurd. Maybe like twenty, twenty-five mil, something along those lines. Pretty average, considering you know the numbers that are flying around now. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the big clubs might see, you know, uh, uh, having too many eggs in your basket almost, you know, wherever you, it's kind of, you know, you're soaking up all these player wage bills. You know, I think everybody's first instinct is going to be, yeah, you know, the small clubs can be taken advantage of. But, you know, if you're a club, uh, actually, I can go even the Liverpool route. You know, Liverpool is looking to offload uh, Sharon Shachiri, uh, Dayon Lovren, uh, just to name two names right there. Uh, you know, and they're looking for 20, 25 mil for those guys. And if they're guys that aren't necessarily elite world-class players, don't get me wrong, they're still good players, but are you going to, you know, consciously, if you're, if you're looking at a sporting director point of view, are you going to keep a guy on the books that maybe made two appearances for you, but is soaking up 90 K a week in wages? Uh, no, you're going to probably get rid of them because, you know, it, it isn't considered often, but player wages really do factor into sale prices. You know, if a, if a CDA club comes along and looks for Dayon Lovren, uh, you know, as a solution defensively, because I think that would be a great fit for him. He's a technically sound player. Um, you know, I think that if, you know, somebody came along and said, hey, Liverpool, you know, 20 mil in this time is insane. We're not going to do that. Uh, you know, however, in... You know, in, in terms of how much we're willing to spend right now, what if we gave you, you know, 15 mil or what if we gave you 13 mil for him? And Liverpool might take a look and go, yeah, he's going to be 31 years old soon. 
And, uh, you know, he's going to be 31 years old soon. And on top of that, uh, you know, he's not really at the level that we want right now. So we're going to have to get rid of him. We don't want him on, you know, I think he's making, you know, high, you know, high figures at Liverpool right now when he got pulled in from Hampton. So, you know, that's that's another thing to consider as well. It, it could go the other way. It's not a, it's not a slam dunk that it could stay just this one direction. That's true. And it's definitely something that we should uh, keep an eye on and, and monitor. Obviously, we, we don't know when the next transfer window even is going to be beginning because obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the conclusion of these seasons and if, if all the timetables are going to be uh, pushed back. So it will be curious to even know when the next transfer window is at this point. And I think like once we get to that point, that's when we're really going to be able to see um, whether teams are being taken advantage of or, or how numbers are working for some of these teams. Um, but obviously, moving on into another thing that has a lot to do with money, um, and that's the, I don't know if a lot of people are very much aware of this, but that's the new UEFA plan for the Champions League starting in the 24-25 season. Um, so this is relatively kind of like a new uh, plan. Uh, a lot of people kind of relate this back to uh, Andrea Agnelli's uh, president of Juve's um, kind of like talk about a, a UEFA Super League from last year. And he got some comments that were kind of like mistranslated. And, and that's kind of where a lot of people kind of stem this conversation from. But there have been more recent articles that UEFA is heavily considering doing this um, the kind of super league kind of thought process behind uh, the Champions League. So basically, just to kind of give you guys a idea of how this is going to work over the next few years. So starting in the 2021 season and then running until the 23-24 season, all those seasons are essentially going to gonna balance out into an average score for your team. And depending on the average score of your team, that is what's going to enable you to gain access to the Champions League. So this kind of helps and, and negates two kind of things. So this helps higher-end teams or, or your traditional big-budget clubs because if they have a one-off, one uh, like a one-year where they're not performing to uh, champions level or top-four level, they're still going to be helped into the Champions League because of their average uh, domestic kind of performance over the course of the four-year span. And also on the flip side of that, you're going to have a little bit of a negative drawback from these smaller clubs um, that have like a one year's kind of spurt where they were successful. For example, like a couple years ago when Leicester won the title, they kind of got picked apart and then they, they didn't really achieve like top four status until recently. Um, and obviously you balance out those four years and under those four years, Leicester wouldn't get into a champions league. So th- th- it's a very like interesting and new kind of concept that, um, would help obviously the elite of football. So obviously those teams that are consistently, performing in top four positions or consistently winning leagues or consistently getting into uh, getting deep into Europa or, or Champions League competitions, those are the teams that this will definitely benefit. And it might have a little bit more of a drawback on clubs that are having like a one or two year kind of stretch where they're overachieving and then their teams kind of get sold and then they're kind of getting dropped back. Uh, obviously, this is not this is nothing that's like set in stone. This isn't signed or anything like that yet. Um, but it is a conversation that UEFA have had, and there have been recent articles kind of diving um, a little bit more deeper into this and getting more details uh, about what's going to happen with the Champions League moving into the next few years. Um, so I, I just obviously wanted to get your guys' thoughts on what do you think about this kind of move for the Champions League, which would obviously start in about four years. 
I think oh, this well. is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Why don't you? Why don't you go ahead first? You're, you're the yeah, guest you here. Why don't we go ahead and do that? We, okay. we totally gave you the ability to interrupt people, so you're fine. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so basically, I mean, I think this, as you said, can go two direction. One being, I hope it's this one, create Champions League as the best and most competitive um, league um, tournament. Uh, I know, obviously, Champions League is competitive and has been competitive, but it creating this system will make it even more competitive because the team will fight more in their regular season. Uh, obviously, some teams just, you know, just try to not even win, but just get that spot. But this will make them more pressure because everyone is going to, that's going to be their goal, ultimately. Sometimes some teams just care about the spot and not winning the league. And this will create it um, a more competitive just in the league, in the each separate league um, would will definitely later on create Champions League more competitive. Obviously, at first it's going to be hard, and there's going to be a lot of controversy because those smaller teams or teams that don't really have that much money will basically almost never make it. Um, and in the past, that has happened, like you said, Leicester. Um, so probably that will cause you know, some love and hate relationship between this new system, but I think it will ultimately be the best, maybe not at the beginning, but in a few years, if this continues to happen, well, not in a few years, in a few years after we started, um, it will create even a better Champions League than what it is today. Right. Essentially what the game plan is, is if you're one of those elite clubs, for example, let's just say Real Madrid, for example, have an off year and they finished sixth, but the la- but the three years before that they finished first or second in the league. So just because you they finished sixth that one year, they aren't bounced out of the Champions League. They would still retain their spot. So it, like I said, it gives you definitely some more uh, sense of a security if you have that one off year when you're at a big club because you know that that one season isn't going to impact your Champions League status, and it will definitely keep those those top tier teams. Um, kind of like focused on on reaching those top pinnacles because you know that if you're consistently winning you're consistently doing uh well in the domestic leagues then you're going to then you're going to continue getting those uh those Champions League kind of uh bids and being able to compete for it. Uh and exactly to your point the the better teams are going to be the ones that are going to be more um kept in the Champions League. So you're not going to see as many let's like let's say smaller clubs kind of try to scratch their way up the table, it, it's going to really depend on you having consistency within your club and having more than just one season of good football under you. We've seen so many, like I said, we've seen so many times where we've had a, a team that has, has just an amazing year and they make it into the Champions League once and then they, fl- they, they fall out in the group stages. I feel like that's something that is going to be what the Champions League is looking to avoid. They really want to make sure that teams that come in have a consistent high level of play, not only in their domestic league, but then when they come into the Champions League, they're like, hey, we have to continue. We have to uh, keep making strides. And we have to obviously not only play well in the domestic league, but we have to have a good showing in the Champions League to continue playing in this competition. Yeah, but I feel like that's not fair to, you know, to the oddball winner. Like, you know, for example, Atalanta, you know, they had a great showing this year, uh, you know, and they, they qualified at the round of 16. And, you know, look at teams that are, you know, how many times do you see teams from like the Belgian League, for example, 
who have, you know, very consistent teams that show up in there because there's not a lot of competition in their league. And every year they're in there and every year, you know, realistically, aside from one or two great runs, their teams crash out. And it's just, I don't think it's particularly fair to the, uh, to the, you know, to the odd team that, you know, that qualifies and gets that additional revenue. I mean, Atalanta, you know, doubled most, I, I believe they like doubled their income from what they usually get from just one season qualifying, you know, taking it, um, you know, taking that, that chance and that shock of like, wow, what's that team doing in there from football? It's just like, I don't know. It just, to me, it, it really, it just sounds like nepotism, you know, like it just sounds like we're, we're going to give this to you because you're already here where, you know, there's football's a revolving door, you know, Liverpool dominated for how many years, uh, you know, in, you know, in the eighties, uh, even seventies, I think they did pretty well. And they completely, once Manchester United took a leap, you know, they took a backseat in the EPL and now it's, now it's revolved the other way around. And, you know, Juve right now are being ran really well, but who's to say that, you know, some ownership doesn't take over one of the smaller Italian clubs and, you know, and make them a powerhouse eventually. Uh, you know, so that's something to consider, you know, Newcastle being taken over as well is a, is a good shout. And so I, I don't know. I, I think that really, it breeds a lot of nepotism and I, I just don't see it as being a practical solution for bringing up quality of play. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's it. And I, I think there's a lot of times where we let a lot of the bigger clubs get away with having a poor champions league season. You know, there's a, there's a lot of times where we focus and we go like, wow, you know, Lester completely bombed out. But at the same time, you know, how many times did man city, you know, struggle to get out of the group stage of their competition, you know, and, and it was talked about briefly, but then they were dominating domestically. So nobody looked, you know, so I don't know. I, I think it sounds a little, uh, too much like nepotism for me. And, uh, and for me, I, I'm all about the shock value in football. You know, I'm all about Atalanta, you know, against all the odds progressing and going further into the competition than they were already. So, uh, you know, that that's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I, I 100% get where you're coming from when it comes to like, for example, like Atalanta, but knowing how the system work would like, think about it this way. What if Atalanta were just like, oh, we're going to play one Champions League season and then we're just going to sell off like how like our big star players just to because because we finished that one Champions League season and we've done it. So in this new system, it would essentially push Atalanta to continue to have these positive results. Obviously, they're still playing well in the league this year. But I think this new Champions League format would still kind of push those clubs to be like, listen, we need to continue our consistent growth in the club and continue pushing up the table so we can keep getting those Champions League spots instead of, like like you mentioned, those smaller teams being like, oh, we made it once. Like, yeah, we got our money. That's great. Like, and, and we don't need to keep trying that again. And maybe next year we'll get lucky too. But it'll, it's kind of like that motivation. Like, oh, we did it once. Like, hey, like we need to continue to do this. We need to continue improving and investing into the squad so we can continually keep playing in the Champions League year in, year out, and then become a powerhouse team. I think that's the way I think they're trying to more or less spin this new format if it obviously goes through. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's not the way the... I see it as well. Yeah, but at the same time, that's not the way that teams go into the season. Like, no team goes into a season going like, yeah, let's, you know, let's settle for mediocre. You know, Leicester... You know, we keep referencing Leicester, but Leicester had a hard uh, had a hard time because, you know, yes, they you know they got that Champions League money in, and they did invest in a couple players, um, you know, and it's just that those players didn't really work out for them, and uh, you know that's that's the thing is you know I, I don't think any team really 
consciously says, you know, we want a one and done kind of deal, you know, uh, and obviously we're, you know, we continue to reference Atalanta because they're kind of like the model citizen when it comes to a smaller club, uh, you know, being in the Champions League. But I, I don't think, you know, I think Leicester catches a bad rep for, you know, for their transfers really just not working out. They let, yes, they let go of Riyad Mahrez, but, you know, name another really big, they got rid of N'Golo Kante and Danny Drinkwater as well, but Danny Drinkwater, and, I, and I'm about to go on a tangent here, and I know this is Serie A-based, but, <clears throat> you know, Danny Drinkwater, he was on the decline. He, you know, the next two, three seasons, uh, he really didn't play all too well. N'Golo Kante, obviously, you know, excellent holding midfielder. He was really the heartbeat of that midfield. Um, but Leicester also invest in some youth. They had Harry Maguire, who went for a huge transfer fee. Was it predominantly, you know, was it predominantly because he was English? I mean, that a lot of people have to say about that. But he did also help England get to a World Cup, you know, uh, World Cup, uh, you know, knockout uh, stage. Uh, you know, and they invested in a lot of players. Ben Chilwell is a good player as well. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily to me that any club sets in and goes, you know, we're going to go for a one and done. I think I think clubs could really easily be found guilty of saying, well, we'll let Riyad Mahrez go and we'll let N'Golo Kante go and we'll sign, you know, a young promising player in Wilfred Ndidi, uh, you know, and uh, I forget the name of the Algerian forward. Do any of you guys remember? Uh, is it Samani or something along those lines? For which team? What was it? For which team? Uh, Leicester. He's not at Leicester anymore, though. But uh, I thought I, I thought you said you said Turkish, and I was I was just instantly thinking of Soyansu. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I was talking. Uh, he's Algerian. He's the forward. You know what I'm talking about? The, the only Algerian forward that I remember from Leicester is obviously. Um, Riyad Mahrez, but it's like Salmani or something like that. But anyway, he was a promising player that came in. They were really hype about him. The is that like, uh, no team set comes in and goes like, "Hey, we'll we'll cash out and keep going" because the ownership maintains. So like, it doesn't make sense for them. Realistically, what happens is Leicester had a really good season, uh, and their signings didn't pan out for them. But at the same time. You know, not only did their signings not pan out for them, the other teams drastically improved with what they had, you know, uh, and a couple of those teams signing the key players that they did have. So it was really uh, a strategic risk that didn't pan out for them. Uh, And I think other teams are also found to do that. You know, you have big players that move from big club to big club. I just, you know, I'm, I'm advocating for the little guy here, but, you know, I, it is, there is that, uh, you know, I think that stigma against small clubs just might not be considering all the facets of what's going on financially for them. You know what I mean? So, so that's just kind of my take on that, on that new, you know, UCL layout. It's just kind of, I just don't know if it's going to work well for, uh, for anybody that's trying to break into the scene, you know? Right. No, that's, it's understandable. So obviously this isn't anything that's uh, written in stone. It's not signed. It's just conversations that they're having. Uh, obviously, uh, Andrea Agnelli is one of the chairpersons on this um, kind of like protocol for moving forward in, into the UCL, for like the next wave of the UCL. So we'll see. Obviously, he's going to be a, a very key figure in terms of watching what he says and what his thoughts are um, on this quote-unquote Super League uh, that he kind of quoted last year. Uh, obviously, so that's kind of like going to conclude some of that UCL talk. Uh, we do have one little funny kind of quick little story to kind of talk about, and that's uh, Gareth Bale. And obviously, he's been in the news uh, a pretty good amount over the past few months. 
um, especially obviously because of his golf comments and all those other, <laughs> other kind of things. Um, but obviously there was a interesting article that came up on ESPN that Gareth Bale said in an official interview that he would love to play in the MLS, uh, especially in LA because he loves playing golf there uh, in LA. So it's kind of like all round robin coming back to golf. Um, but I mean, what would you guys think about like, for example, Gareth Bale moving to and being the next kind of like face of the MLS in two years? Granted, he's he's obviously he's 30 right now. Uh, he has two more years left on his contract, so he'd have to play two more years. So he would be, I believe, 32 moving to the MLS. Uh, obviously, L.A. would be his his desired move. Um, but what do you guys think? Is, is that a move that would kind of make sense not only for the MLS or or for Gareth Bale? Any, any thoughts on, on that kind of move? I think it makes more sense for Bale than the MLS, uh, in my opinion. Um, he's definitely not the same player as he was at his prime. He's not only getting old, but he's getting injured a lot. And as the years go by, that's getting worse and worse. So that's definitely going to be hard for the MLS because of that. And I don't think he's going to sell that many shirts, you know, if he comes to the MLS. Um, But definitely he's going to be good for him because he's, definitely going to have more playing time that he doesn't get right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, I see it happening and I see the MLS getting bigger and bigger um, and see, I, I definitely know that bigger players will join MLS in the next years. Um, so definitely um, happy about that because <laughs> I want that happening here and we need that happening here. And thank God Inter Miami not started. So I have an MLS team relatively close. Um, so let's see. Tim, any 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 thoughts on on Bale's proposed move to uh, LA? So, uh, are you talking on like, do I think he'll qualify for the PGA Tour, or do you think like MLS? <laughs> like, what do you what do you think here? Like, what am I looking at? <laughs> I mean, I think he'll definitely make a make a solid attempt to qualify for the PGA Tour, one hundred percent. Um, but I'm I'm looking at it for more from a football like perspective. Doesn't make sense not only for LA footballing wise, but also Gareth Bale footballing wise. Is, is that going to be like his little swan song couple last few years, just so he can kind of relax and play some more and focus more on his golf game, and and the football kind of becomes like secondary to him. Um, and obviously, on the flip side of that, does it make sense? for one of these LA teams to kind of bring him in knowing that he's like, Oh, I'm going to be playing a lot of golf and, and his other activities outside of the sport being a big distraction for the team and the performance that they put inside the MLS. I would tell you that if you're concerned with how good Gareth Bale will be in the MLS, I would urge you to look at the fact that Zlatan I believe scored just as many goals as he played games in the MLS uh, at a similar age. Uh, And that, yes, obviously Zlatan is a different animal and he's, you know, he's uh, a very driven individual, but at the same time, and this is, and again, this is not to take any kind of dig at the MLS, um, but let's go over a couple things that everybody knows. Everybody knows there are less games in an MLS season than there are in La Liga season. Uh, Everybody knows that, yes, there is a little bit more travel when it comes to the MLS because you're going all over the country, but a lot of your games are played within your conference, right? So, uh, you know, there's there's that capacity and, you know, the league is still growing, all right? So 
even in two years, I think the MLS is going to increase dramatically in quality in the next two years. But guess what? We've been saying that for the past 25 years. And, you know, we're going to keep saying that because in all actuality, yeah, I, I think it's been getting better. But, you know, you're talking about bringing in a Galactico. You know, in all intents and purposes, the guy scored a bite kick in a UCL final. He's, you know, he scored that Copa del Rey goal. He's had his moments in a Real Madrid shirt. And I think that at the very least, uh, you know, if you bring him into your team for a two-year contract, uh, you know, if you bring him in, he's at least going to show, you know, your your young average American professional uh, you know, or even, you know, I know we have a couple of uh, foreign players in the MLS, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much you learn from watching somebody in training. You know, he might do, you know, he might do something in training that's a little different from what you see in the MLS. And by might, I mean, I guarantee it, you don't get to that level by, you know, by being average. Uh, so, you know, a young player might look at him and say, okay, well, he's not, he's not necessarily going to mentor that player, but at the same time, you know, if you look at that player learning from Gareth Bale versus learning from Graham Zuzzi, you know, it's uh, from, you know, MLS player for those who don't follow the MLS, you know, you're going to you're going to gain a lot more watching Gareth Bale, uh, you know, because he yes, he's going to be more technically gifted, but he's also been doing it for years at this point. And um, there's a you know, there's another piece to it that I think a lot of people don't understand is he speaks English not well. I mean, Welsh accents are really hard to follow, but uh, he speaks English. He's comfortable with the culture. And that's the big hiccup when it's come to Madrid for him. You know, when it's come to Madrid for him, he doesn't want to, you know, and again, I don't know him personally, but from what I've heard, he doesn't really want to learn the culture. He doesn't really care for the culture. He likes going back home whenever he can. And, you know, he might look at LA and go, you know, not only am I getting the nice weather, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, at some capacity, I'm getting some nice weather. But at the same time, I know everybody here predominantly speaks English. And, uh, you know, I, as well, I'm going to be treated really well here. Nobody's going to be throwing shade at me the way that they do in Madrid. So he's going to be motivated even further. So I I would love to see it. I would welcome it. I think it would benefit both him and the league. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised that I don't think he's going to score as many goals as games, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a couple highlight reels here and there. Only issue is, and, and obviously Martina kind of touched upon it beforehand, he is getting older and he is a little bit injury prone. So even if, does that move even make sense just from the simple fact is, can he stay on the pitch? Can he perform and actually play in games while he's in LA? Because let's let's face it, let's, let's be honest, the MLS is a, definitely a lot more of a physical league than La Liga is. La Liga is very open. It's, it's very attack focused. So offensive and creative players have a little bit more freedom there. And the MLS is a little bit more brutal, and you're not going to get the calls, you're not going to get the fouls, you're not going to get the same treatment from the referees that you did in La Liga, for example. So yeah, he's going to have. I don't think anybody's tackling at the level that they are in La Liga. I mean, I've watched several games recently, and I, I just don't see the intensity is also lower, and you know, also not for nothing, but where, where wasn't everybody saying that about Ian Robin when he moved to uh, to Bayern Munich? You know, they were saying like, hey, he's had his injury problems as well. I mean, he would have been a Galactico if he could have stayed healthy, but he went there, revived his career. You know, FIFA has us all thinking that people die at the age of 30. You know, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I, I know you got that from somewhere. I know that you didn't think of that off the top of your head. What? That that, that FIFA has us thinking that people die at 30. I know yeah, you read that. Yeah, literally everyone in the world says that. That's how I got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, that's funny. <laughs> Thank you for the admission that that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll confirm that you have your moments of being funny once in a while. Oh, well, I've held the dad jokes to a minimum now, haven't I? I know. I've, I've been very surprised that over these last 10 episodes, we haven't just created a dad, dad joke segment for Tim to do. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll do it on like Instagram or Twitter or something like that. Who's to say? But maybe. Uh, Who's to say? Any anybody else got any points on uh, Gareth Bale? No, I think I think we're good on Gareth Bale. Yeah, don't like his hair transplants. No, don't like the hair transplants. He's got gr- cool hair. I mean, man bunning up. It's it's trendy. It's trendy, Very but trendy. it's also fake. <laughs> Very true. This is the hard-hitting news people need wonder, to know about Marson. I wonder. I wonder if he went to Ronaldo's hair transplant place to get it done. <laughs> I don't know. Ronaldo's hair transplant guy is elite. That guy did a great job. Yeah, I mean Ronaldo owns his own place, and I think there's one in Madrid. So, ooh, like rumors, leaks. This this is breaking news here, folks. Huge, huge deal. Uh, but the hugest deal, and I think I'm gonna bow out and let you guys go on this one, is. Martina, we got to interview you a little bit. I mean, like you have been with us since the beginning and we've like really appreciated everything that you've done for us. And I think it's time that, you know, I, I left it over to Marson and, you know, we had a little talk, a little interview. Of course. Well, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that you would still chive in with some questions here or there too. I mean, I'm not doing this by myself. This, is, this isn't Marson's you're, you're, you're talk. This is, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this isn't my top in stock. This is ours. So I would like to do it together. Um, but yeah, so like, like Tim just mentioned, Martina has been doing, um, some graphic design work for us. She was, uh, definitely helping us out at at the beginning, uh, in terms of getting our podcast up and running and doing some graphics and, and she just created our new graphic, which if you haven't checked out, uh, at, uh, Ben's talk at our Twitter handle, it is there. So she's definitely done a, a lot more, um, than I expected anybody else would for free, especially of all things. So Luckily, we didn't have to pay her, even though she's super awesome. Of course. I I mean, I love to help. Um, That's what I like to do. And definitely, I'm super glad that I was kind of a part of it in the beginning. And I hope to be, you know, helping you guys throughout as well. Hey, the brand is everything. So you weren't kind of in it. You were in it. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure at some point, me and Tim will definitely ask you to do more graphic design work for us at some point. Of course, and I would be glad to help. <laughs> but like like Tim just mentioned, we do want to do a quick little interview just to get to kind of um, just to get to know you a little bit more, and just so our obviously our listeners get to know you. If they haven't heard of you, um, you can kind of introduce yourself. Um, like, what made you? Obviously, we, since we've kind of been talking over the last hour, uh, we know that you are a Juve fan. So, kind of what made you? I think the main questions that people kind of would want to know is. What made you fall in love with obviously Juve and then what got you into doing um, kind of like graphic design or this kind of like creative like Juve theme design content? So how, um, how how I became a Juventus fan, my dad is a Juventus fan since he was a kid. Um, the day I was born, he wrapped me up in a scarf and put the anthem and danced, made me dance. <laughs> kind of made a ritual to force me into the Juve world, even if I didn't have a word. Um, in it but obviously I'm super glad that's how I basically was not forced but since I was born my dad was like okay you're cheering for Juve you're a Bianconera that's who you are Uh, but I didn't care I didn't really care about football I lived in Africa growing up so I didn't really have a TV I didn't really watch football at all but then when I moved to Madrid 
uh, I went to my first live Juventus game in Madrid. Uh, I was Real Madrid against Juventus in 2008, uh, where Del Piero scored the 2-0, the, one of the yep. most important <laughs> moments in, in my opinion in Juventus history. Well, not history, but Del Piero's history. Um, I definitely fell in love with the game. I mean, first the game of football, because I never watched a game live in a stadium. And then I actually fell in love with Juve because obviously before I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Juventina. I like Juve, whatever. But I never really felt that passion because I didn't really knew the team. I didn't really follow the team before. And then when I watched it live, I'm like, I felt it inside of me. And that's when I was like, okay, okay. Now I can say that I'm actually a Juventus fan. And since then I grew my passion. I started watching more football. I actually started playing football um, and just my passion of football in general grew. Obviously, Juventus grew the most and I'm a proud fan of Juve and definitely my passion is growing so much since I started the page and I'm super into the world of Juventus and I hope to continue doing that forever. So... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you, you've done such great work. I know there's a ton of different people that have asked you to do uh, either logos or graphics for them, and you've, w- without any hesitation, have jumped on it and, and done it for them. Um, but, I mean, what, what made you kind of want to do a Juve-themed page and you do graphic design with it? So, like, what, like did you, were you always artistic growing up? Did you like drawing? Did you like creating things? And is that how it, like, spurred into you doing graphic design today? So, I... I was not the most creative person growing up. I don't even consider myself um, a creative person. Okay, not now, but when I was growing up, at least. Then when I um, went to college, um, I studied advertising. And at first, um, I didn't really know everything that you could do in advertising. And then in my first semester, I realized all the cool things I could do in the creative creative side of advertising, like graphic design. And video editing and all of that stuff and I basically learned by myself how to become more creative in that sense so I learned all the programs and everything and then I decided to take more creative classes to just grow academically as well and that's what made me start everything at first I didn't really think oh let me create a Juve page and do all of this stuff no I started a project for my portfolio and since I had nothing better to do, I decided to make graphics of Juventus players. And I made so many. And so then one day I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to post one on Instagram. And then I, I think my first page name was Juve Illustration. I don't even know. I don't remember. And then I just post them like once a week, only like one thing once a week. And then I felt like, people liked it and I saw the response and the engagement and then I started growing and then when Ronaldo came to Juve my page started growing more because of that and then I decided to take it a step further and start doing more news transfer rumors and more content basically because at first it was basically only graphics and it was I mean only posting once a week and now I post like three times a day and then I also grew into other platforms like Twitter, Facebook, um, now YouTube. So I'm trying, I'm trying to keep growing and growing uh, as much as I can, at least. 
So, so you mentioned obviously that you've expanded like your page a little bit on Twitter and you, and you do more of these things. Is there anything else that you have like kind of like plans in the future to like dive into more? Like you just mentioned, like you started obviously going back into YouTube and I've watched a few of the videos like personally. So do you have any more plans of doing anything else besides, besides that? uh, I mean, YouTube, I started, I think, I think it was like the week before everything shut down. (laughs) So basically like a month. Two months, let's say two months ago. Um, so I just started and obviously I didn't really have the chance to express myself in that platform since there hasn't been really football happening. Um, so yeah. obviously I need to grow there. I'm super small now. Uh, hope to, you know, get more people either watching my videos or interacting with the page, with the channel. So that's definitely my, um, not future, but what I want to, focus on a little bit more whenever Mm -hmm. either football resumes or whatever happens in the future with that um so obviously it's hard now but that's my number one i would say and then i had a podcast with uva aj for those who follow him um we only had a few episodes and we're planning on continuing that or restarting that so so those are basically the two future things that I'm planning as of right now. Obviously, it's a lot of work and being by myself, it's sometimes stressful. It's basically like a full-time job if you think about it. So it's yeah. hard. And sometimes um, if you don't post, people get angry or are frustrated about it. And sometimes you need to take breaks. So it's hard. Um, so I'm just trying to keep it um the best for everyone not only for me but also for the people that follow me and and have been following me for the the last years right yeah and i I, like i said i I think you've done a a fantastic job of um providing content and and daily updates for for the uva fans that do follow your page um tim do you have any do you have any uh, like questions you'd like to ask or anything you'd like to know about okay martina are you ready yeah let's see okay so no pressure, but I have several questions that we're going to try to answer in 60 seconds. Oh, my God. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Ready, set, go. Do you play football? Not currently. Okay. What's your favorite position on the pitch? Uh, defensive mid. Okay. Okay. Favorite jersey number? 10. I know it's favorite color. Match, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite color? Favorite color, blue. Favorite stadium you've been to? Uh, Allianz Stadium. Allianz uh-huh. Stadium. So Juventus oh. Stadium. A stadium that you haven't been to, but that you'd love to go to? Oof. Uh, damn. I need a second. I think... You got 20. The, the Borussia... The, <laughs> I don't know the name of it, but it's the Borussia. Um, uh, it's yeah that stadium all right and last one and you can go over 10 seconds with this what is your favorite thing about football oh wow um i love i mean okay i'm gonna say everything but basically what i love the most (laughs) is just the passion and the culture that is around football um you know bringing people together and even if you're not cheering for the same teams it brings them together because you can either talk about it have different points of view and it's just, I mean, everything. So I think that is the what tops it, the bringing Pikachu together and just a passion. 
All right. Well, look, that's all my questions. Marcin, I am certifying Martina as a certified football fan. There's nothing <laughs> else I can do here. And uh, I really appreciate the time you gave us on the podcast. She, of she, course, thank the, you. Uh, she gets the top bench talk seal of approval from you. Boom. Slap down. Done. Sweet. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, obviously, you can follow Martina at uh, Uve Designer on Twitter. Obviously, she uh, Martina, would you like to tell everybody about your uh, YouTube channel so if they can follow you there? Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel. Uh, my name is Martina Beda. It's actually my normal, so my first and last name. Um, and I mainly talk about Juve. Uh, also, I talk sometimes about other things related to football, like Champions League or any transfer rumors. And so I hope whenever football resumes or whatever happens, I will be posting more about that as well. Awesome. And obviously, so... Um, you could follow me at PL Juventino on Twitter, uh, or you could follow our uh, Top Ben's Talk page at Ben's Talk. Uh, Tim, what are your ads? Because I don't even remember them anymore at this point. <laughs> so the 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 ad is uh, at Footy Kuji. So it's F O O T Y K U J I. Cool. So if you guys want to follow us on any of our social media platforms, have any questions for any of us. I uh, would like to would like to follow Martina, ask her, her any personal questions um, or have any uh, topics that you'd like us to talk about on the next episode of Top Ends Talk. You can always um, at any of us and we'll obviously try to help you out. And we are always down for a chat about football. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Martina. And with that, uh, I'd like to say goodbye and thank you guys for another great episode of Top Ends Talk. Talk to you later. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>